The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. We all love stories that help explain our world. And there's nothing more appealing than a story that sounds like your own experience. So when a government says to you that their budget is under pressure and they'll do exactly what you would do when your household budget is under pressure, it makes sense. You no doubt have heard it many times before. In fact, as recently as Monday, the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, came out and said that the government's finances were under pressure, that the government wanted to cut its cloth to fit. You might have heard that phrase, cut its cloth to fit. Just as consumers, voters, households in the rest of Aotearoa were struggling with the high cost of living, the floods, all sorts of dramas, the government sympathised with households and was going to do exactly the same thing, tighten its belt at a time of trouble and reduce its spending take some pressure off borrowing. That sounds completely natural. It sounds like a sensible thing to do, a conservative thing to do, a thing that you would do in your own situation. The trouble is a government's budget, a government's finances are not like a household's finances. And there's a couple of key differences. Firstly, a household has to earn money and Usually, no one is going to just give you money because you want it and you say you want it. If I turned up for a job somewhere and said, you should be giving me a job and paying me this much money and you don't have any choice in the matter, just do it, I'd get some pretty grumpy looks and be told to bugger off, which is fair enough. But that's not how governments operate. Governments have the power, the legislative power, to use the law to make you pay them money. (laughs) That's how the government works. And that's a really powerful power, actually. If you are a ratings agency and you come along and you see a choice between a government, which has the power to tax, or a local government, which has the power to impose a rate on properties, and then a company, which has to convince you every time to buy their thing and have enough money left over to be able to pay the debt, you obviously go to the government. And that's why governments have higher credit ratings than councils and even higher credit ratings than most companies. In fact, a lot of companies aim to have a relatively low credit rating, something like, you might hear this phrase, a junk rating. Now, in bond market terms, a junk rating is a triple B minus rating. Sounds bad, doesn't it? If you got a triple B minus on your on your assignment at school, you'd be you wouldn't be too upset, but it's not nearly as good as an A. But a lot of businesses will go for a triple B minus credit rating or even lower. And you can go down to triple C and double D. And uh, once you get down to to F, uh, you're in trouble. But for a lot of businesses, 
they like to have a relatively low credit rating. The reason being, it means that that reflects that they have a lot of debt on their balance sheets. Now, you may think a lot of debt on your balance sheet, surely that can't be good. But actually, if you are looking after the equity of a bunch of shareholders and you have a lot of debt, when the value of your business goes up, then the value of the equity you have goes up by much, much more than if you only had equity to manage. You didn't have debt. It's a bit like when you buy a house. If you take out a 10% deposit and you get a 90% loan from the bank and then suddenly the price of your house rises by 10%, you get an extra 10% on top of your own 10%, i.e. you double your money. That's the beauty of leverage. And for a lot of companies, a lot of analysts and shareholders accuse them of having, quote, lazy balance sheets. That means not enough debt because that means they're not working their capital hard enough, they're not getting a high enough return for shareholders, and they're not looking after their long-term future, particularly when they're using debt to invest in their technology, their people, their market position. And so in the professional world of managing money and looking after funds, a lot of fund managers like debt. In fact, they're quite happy to lend to companies and to governments and councils when they've got that debt. Now, fast forward to a discussion about government debt. Now, in New Zealand, that has a particular flavour, and we're seeing it play out in Auckland at the moment and with the central government. Remember, politicians like to describe government finances in the same way that household finances are described. But it's not the case because councils and governments have the power to tax and to rate. They also have the ability to borrow money much cheaper than most people do. And as it turns out, both of them at the moment have very low debt compared to both their assets and their income. And you'd think that they wouldn't have a problem borrowing money, particularly when there's been a shock, and that's when you use debt and your ability to borrow to cushion the blow. You help out people who are in trouble when they've just gone through the worst storm ever or through a pandemic. And our government has, on the whole, mostly done a pretty good job of that over the last 20 years or so. When we had the earthquakes, there was a lot of borrowing and money was used to repair the damage. When we had the global financial crisis, money was used, as it turned out, to stimulate the economy with building of motorways. Uh, and that uh, helped limit the damage, as as we saw with, with COVID. Uh, but we're not seeing it so much with the recovery from Cyclone Gabrielle and also Cyclone Hail. And in the case of the Auckland Council, even though there's been the pandemic and hail, the Auckland Council is doing something really weird. The end of last year, the Auckland Council, under new mayor Wayne Brown, suddenly discovered and announced they had a fiscal black hole of $295 million, and this was going to force them, as if it was the financial weather, force them to sell assets, to slash spending, and borrow a tiny bit, because there was no way they could do anything else. This was a desperate situation. They made it sound as if the Auckland Council was basically on the bones of its ass and it broke and couldn't afford it. Is that true, though? And this week, we've got an interesting development in the political economy around government debt, government spending, and in particular, councils, because a new organisation is being formed 
called Better Budget Auckland, which is a group of independent activists and community leaders in Auckland who are challenging Wayne Brown's assertion of a budget black hole and also the resulting slashing of spending on community services, community gardens, libraries, festivals, all of those things that bring people together and make a community healthy and flourish. Things which Wayne Brown has decided to cut. It's actually worth looking at the real finances of Auckland Council. I did this by looking at a Standard & Poor's report that came out at the end of last year, which showed Auckland Council has a double A credit rating, not a triple B minus or a double C, a double A credit rating. That is gold standard. It has a debt to revenue ratio of 250%. And the uh, supposed limit, the one that's put in place by the local government funding agency and that is implied by the ratings agencies is 290%. In effect, the council has several hundred million dollars worth of borrowing headroom they, they could use and still keep their AA credit rating. But they chose to present it as a budget black hole. Also, when you have a look at that debt, if you want to play the game of comparing a government's finances with a household's finances, have a look at the size of that debt and the uh, borrowing costs for the Auckland Council as a percentage of its income. So, for example, if I said to a first home buyer who was just about to put down a deposit on a house and take out a big loan and move into the house, if I said to them, the most you can possibly borrow is two and a half times income, the first home buyer would not be very happy because most first home buyers, in fact, a lot of borrowers these days are borrowing not two and a half times, they're borrowing five, six, seven times income and the banks are happy to lend it to them. So that's twice as much debt as the current council has. But wait, there's more. The council is currently spending just 10% of its revenues on servicing its debt. If you went to a first home buyer and said, the most you can possibly borrow to buy your house that you live in and that you need to survive is 10%. They would laugh you out of the bank branch. These days, a lot of borrowers are spending 30 to 40% of their disposable income on servicing their mortgage. And of course, there's many renters, more than a third, who are spending more than 40% of their income on rents. So when the council Uh, comes to you and says, and when the mayor says there's a budget black hole, but actually the amount of debt that the council has is half what the household would have, and that its debt servicing costs are a third of what a normal household would, would cost, it's about time you started saying to the mayor, if you're going to play households equals government with me, why don't you do the same with the debt? Because it's clearly not the same. And there's actually a case to borrow the money to deal with a shock not to be slashing community services and selling the silver assets of the 18% stake in the Auckland airport instead. And this week on When the Facts Change, we had a chat with India Logan Riley from Better Budget Auckland, who explained to us how the group was formed, what they did to push back at this narrative about the black hole, and why increasing a bit of borrowing spending a bit less on some infrastructure projects way down the track and ensuring that the stake in Auckland's airport is kept is a much better idea than slashing these community services. And I think it's worth 
having a closer look at how stories shape our political economy and how we shouldn't just take those stories for granted and how we should realise that financial weather is not something that can't be changed. In fact, there is no such thing as the financial weather. There are only political choices when it comes to budgets. And Wayne Brown has chosen to cut services for poor people who have struggled the most during COVID and the floods instead of cutting things elsewhere. For example, Wayne Brown could order the council's servicing of golf courses and maybe sell a few of the council's golf courses. They're worth more than $2 billion. Why hasn't he done that? I'm Bernard Hickey. That's this week on When the Facts Change, the political economy of public debt and decisions about spending. Well, kia ora to India. Welcome to When the Facts Change. Lovely to see you here on the Spinoff Podcast Network. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bernard. I'm really curious about the group that you're now a part of that is challenging a story about the finances of Auckland Council. Could you tell us about your group and tell us about the story you're challenging? Yeah, so um, the little crew uh, that we've formed is called A Better Budget for Auckland, or ABBA for short. Um, And essentially, the name says it all. Um, We really wanted to dig into this um, really severe budget that Auckland Council and the, or the leadership of Auckland Council had put forward and say like, hang on, we actually don't think what you're talking about is what's going on. And you know, we're really lucky that, um, you know, we've got a mix of backgrounds for myself. It's in the climate justice space and the local community policy space. Um, others of us work in community and work in community services. And then we also have um, economic and, and policy expertise as well, um, which we're able to draw on quite heavily as well as a good community of supporters too. And so we could bring all of that together to figure out a, a pathway forward for Auckland that didn't involve this story that we've been told. And so essentially the, the budget that has been put out for consultation by Auckland Council is kind of being called a a crisis budget um, or one where we have to look at this 200-odd million dollar hole that has been, that has suddenly appeared somehow um, and we need to um, rein back um, spending, take an austerity approach um, and basically slash funding for community services, sell off the assets we have, um, and increase the burden of cost on communities by increasing things like um, like venue hire and that kind of thing, like local community halls, as well as freezing um, certain rates that we actually need for clean water and a good environment. And so across the board, it was just slash and burn and displace the cost onto community members, and particularly community members, because we know it's our poorer community members who, who need those services more. And so we just thought, hang on, this this seems suspicious because as we understood, the whole essentially came from a loss in non-rate revenue as well as some rate um, freezes and, and that kind of thing um, throughout the COVID and particularly the lockdowns. And Auckland went through many more lockdowns than the rest of the country. And so what we're dealing with in terms of the impacts of that for revenue were quite a bit more severe than the rest of the country. And so we thought, well, 
if we're hiring our venues again, if we're back and participating in community and we're able to do the services and get extra funding for that kind of thing because we can run events and, and, and do what we're meant to do to take care of each other, then why is that whole such a big problem? And so that's essentially why we're really lucky that we had this team that could go through the budget with a bit of a fine-tooth comb, and yeah, there's a there's a story attached to that as well. Um, but to see what we could come up with that was different because we just don't agree that this whole is an ongoing problem that we need to then slash services for. Could you uh, explain to people who maybe haven't been watching the Auckland Council process very closely what sort of cuts, what sort of community services, what sort of impact that's having on people who've had a really tough few years, both with COVID and then with the recent floods? Yeah, so it's it's kind of hard to encompass how big these cuts are, but if I could list off a few examples, um, 44 community gardens would lose their funding, um, and that is, that's food on people's tables and that kind of thing. Um, we would also lose support for early childhood education programs that the council runs, as well as um, the cheap cost to, to have use of those early childhood education facilities, um, which then means that somehow parents are meant to find early childhood education for their kids um, at a much more higher rate. Um, we're looking at ANZAC services having their funding cut and some would have to be cancelled altogether. Um, and also things like pools and libraries may have to reduce their hours because they're not able to stay open for as long because they'll have to cut staff. Um, and then we're talking in the like 300% realm of increasing venue hireage for things like community halls for small community groups and that kind of thing. So they're cutting services, but they're also shifting the cost and increasing the cost and trying to find revenue from, from smaller groups. Um, and then, of course, support for the zoo would go, so they would have to increase their ticket price, and we would possibly be looking at a closure of the zoo. Um, which doesn't make sense. And there's a raft of other things, services for homeless people, services for young people, our festivals, our investment in tourism, which then does return revenue as well. Um, and they're also proposing to sell the shares in the Auckland airport and completely let go of that asset as well. So just stepping back a bit, um, this seemed to crop up in late last year when Mayor Wayne Brown put out some statements about his sudden discovery of a $295 million fiscal black hole. And he presented it as something akin to the weather. There was nothing that could be done about it. It was just a hole that was going to have to be filled with some tough, hard work, which would involve some sacrifice and some reduced spending and maybe some increased fees. And we were going to have to sell the biggest piece of family silver and maybe do a tiny bit of borrowing. But there was no choice we had to fill this $295 million so-called black hole. Uh, but could you tell us about, you know, how the finances of the council are sitting at the moment overall? Surely if someone was saying there's a massive fiscal black hole, then the council must be on the verge of being insolvent or bankrupt, unable to borrow, facing an extreme blowout in its borrowing costs, a really poor council that is having to do the the, the desperate things just to survive. Um, is that the case? Yeah, so no, that's not the case. And 
I would also argue that, yeah, holes don't emerge out of nowhere. And actually the council has signaled for a really long time that there are pressures that we're dealing with because of COVID. So good planning and good um, recovery planning out of this was is entirely possible and continues to still be possible. And I do want to note that um, the credit rating of Auckland Council has not been downgraded during COVID. Like those agencies are very understanding of pandemics and of crises. And we also have a really good future revenue stream coming in as well um, through keeping our assets and um, through maintaining the rates increases that have been laid out in the long-term plan and signaled for a really long time. And the credit agencies aren't looking at Auckland Council like there's something terribly corrupt going on or like that whole happened because of terrible financial mismanagement or anything like that. It is a, yeah, it's a miscommunication of, of what's actually going on. And we often see this um, when we have certain political ideologies that lean towards austerity and, and, and shrinking public services and, you know, shifting the cost of public services onto individuals, that they will make a crisis out of nothing, essentially, in order to create a political appetite for their austerity agenda. And we know from overseas and our own experiences that reducing spending during times of crisis in communities actually does severe health harms, it does well-being harms, it does economic harms as well, and that actually we Auckland's been through enough that we don't need then our own leadership betraying us by kind of gutting the soul of the city. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist Jared Kerr with his prediction on what we can expect from the housing market and interest rates for 2024. We've seen quite a correction in housing across the country. So house prices fell from the lofty levels that we saw in 2021. The Reserve Bank has pushed house prices down by design and by lifting interest rates to very eye-watering levels. I think the housing market has found a bottom and I think we'll see house prices rising over 2024 and into 25, 26. The housing market will be better balanced. We have seen a, a surge in migrants, which is adding demand to the housing market. And I think we'll see house prices naturally lift on the back of that surge in migration and uh, hopefully an easing in interest rates later on. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. 
Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. I keep remembering being told that councils were up against their debt limits and they couldn't borrow any more. Uh, you're advocating a $75 million increase in the council's borrowing um, to ensure that these services aren't cut. Uh, what would that do to the council's um, debt versus the apparent limits that are in place? Yeah, so we're currently at 250% of borrowing and even that 75 million will get us nowhere near close to the 290% debt ceiling. So we have the capacity to borrow and actually expert economists have said that that debt ceiling in itself is not as too low a debt ceiling and is an idiotic level to set our borrowing at. A lot of other governments and local governments have much higher debt ceilings. And that debt ceiling, as we understand it, because we haven't been able to locate the paperwork, even though we've been trying to find it, that somewhere is an internal policy that says we can't breach that debt ceiling and that that's the debt ceiling. Um, but surely if it's an internal policy, then it can actually be changed um, and that we can continue to borrow because this is a massive decision to make. The, the absolute shredding of Auckland Council services and what it is that binds our community together and makes it, makes it work um, should not be a decision that is made quickly and it should only be done after every single option has been explored and put on the table for the public to engage with. This is, these are big economic decisions that are going to affect everyone who lives in this region and that should not be left to a rather quiet one-month consultation period um, in which they've produced public documents that haven't actually contained the information that we need to be able to develop um, even better alternatives to this budget and make the right calls. In fact, the limit is 290%. And during the um, COVID crisis, the local government funding agency, which suggests this limit uh, after consulting with credit rating agencies, actually increased the limit to over 300%. And when you look at the debt figures from not just the Auckland Council, but other councils in New Zealand, the debt to revenue ratio has actually been falling. It's been improving over the years. And the council's own forecasts show that its debt to total revenue is forecast to fall in 2020 from 250% of revenue down to 225% of Revenue. So there's hundreds of millions of dollars worth of leeway uh, in that limit, which in itself is a self-imposed and imaginary number that is set to ensure that Auckland's credit rating, which is a double A credit rating, is not shifted. I, I wondered uh, about this framing that the council is using, which you sometimes hear from governments that a government's books are just like the voters' books, just like a household's finances, that whenever times are tough, uh, the best thing to do is to cut your cloth to fit, to reduce your spending, to match your income. But could you try to sort of unpick this idea of uh, a government's books being just like a household's books? What, why is it 
why perhaps is it different for a government, a council, versus uh, someone who's uh, got who pays to pay rent or owns a house and gets some income from a job? Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting perspective because as I was raised, it was also, you know, you, you look to the long term, you look to the vision and the aspiration and you don't, you know, organize your finances by the short term, you organize them by the long term. And that's, I think, what essentially a democratically elected entity should be responsible for is meeting communities' needs over the long term. And what we're looking at here in terms of this budget is short term, not even gain for like a lot of long term pain. And they're accountable to more than just, you know, one household. They're accountable to whole cities and whole communities and that there is a public responsibility to make sure that we're all well and healthy and joyful and thriving and connected and in our culture and all of those kinds of things. And I ultimately think that they should have to answer to the public on this. And, you know, like Wayne Brown and the leadership in the council won't even talk to journalists about this decision, but actually they have to, this is part of the democratic process. Although they were elected, that's only one point of like the democratic engagement in terms of being held accountable to the public and to the families of Auckland. And that essentially he has to be willing to be, to continue to hear our feedback and to respond to that, um, which he's clearly choosing not to do. But yeah, I think there's something there about being yeah responsible for the modi of a population and that these kinds of harsh and cruel budget decisions are in contradiction with that responsibility to look after the modi of this place that means like so much to so many people and you know i like i was born in auckland i love this place and um i love the landscapes in it as well and i feel really lucky to to be able to live in auckland and and enjoy the connections and experiences that i've had and that deserves to be maintained for future generations rather than taken down. So what would you say to, you know, perhaps someone who whose only connection with the council is they pay rates, uh, the rubbish is collected, uh, they uh, turn on the tap, the water arrives, and on occasion they might go to the library, and uh, they want their rates to stop increasing and uh, um they certainly don't want to hear a council say that it's more indebted. What w- and that they would say uh, all of the um, um, quality of life things that you're talking about there, that's the government's responsibility. Or in fact, it's the individual's responsibility. Why should I be paying my money to you know uh, make sure that people have community services or community events and in community gardens, shouldn't they pay for it just like everyone else or let the government pay for it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question in terms of just what we expect of governance, essentially. That's the big kind of like overarching question there. And for me, it's like our encounters with council can be quite hidden sometimes, but it can be as simple as how walkable is your footpath or, you know, can you access the shops that you need? And I think about even, cause I live in Otahuhu, 
we were getting our first town center upgrade in decades and like it was looking really great, but they only got halfway and then they had to stop the rest of the project because of the cuts from COVID. And that's, so we've got one part of the street that's quite dinged up. We've got another part of the street that's looking pretty good. And I hope one day Auckland Council decides to finish that project um, because, yeah, Otahu is a community that deserves it, as does everyone. But I think even, as you said, like collects the rubbish, um, you know, runs these local community services like the pools and all of that kind of thing. And then there's also our local boards as well, and their budget's actually going to be cut in half. So even our a localist interface with governance and collectivizing and being in community is going to lose its capacity to respond. And that's essentially what we're doing is we're putting our resources together so that we can help each other and respond in times of hardship, that we should be have enough in the, in the kitty, in the kitty to um, keep us going in these times of crisis, as well as to really thrive when times are good. And I think particularly in the context of what Auckland has experienced with the floods and the hardship that they brought and the and the and the pain that that brought that we're going to be grappling with some some harder times in the future especially when it comes to climate change and so we need really good investment in local infrastructure and good pipes and good public transport and all of those things because that's what will help us weather the future storms and as someone who does pay taxes, as someone who does contribute to the city, I would hope that the money that I have goes to a community or a family down the road who needs it because one of them just lost their job. And I think that's part of just how we look after each other because we know and we saw from the floods and the cyclone that it's our capacity to help each other that will keep us going through and, and bring life and joy and value to the meaning of life um, rather than our isolated homes being grumpy at each other. Yeah. India Logan Riley uh, there from Better Budget Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. Thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. Thank you. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.